0: and I'm kind of at times to just, we'll just pass over this and let's get to the the bigger things that are in chapter five. But verse one is here on purpose. And so I just, I want to share a particular thought with you that I believe the Lord spoke to me about. So we'll just read Joshua chapter five, verse one, and keep in mind the fact that they've just successfully crossed the Jordan River and what an incredible event moment that was. So in verse number one, and it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel, until we were passed over, that their heart melted Neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. So here's the thought moving with or melted by. Moving with or melted by. We trust the Lord to bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Brother Ben continues to be a blessing this summer. Thankful for him. I did not know that he sang as well as he did when he came here, and uh, I'm glad he does, and it's a blessing, and appreciate him and Ashlyn working on this song, and it talks about how Christ is in the middle of our storm with us, and so enjoy this song and let it minister to your heart as they sing. Praise the Lord for that. There was a phrase in there that talks about how we may not see the answers till we reach the other side, but it does not mean he's not with us, and it does not mean he's working it out for a purpose and for our good. That was a blessing, Brother Ben and Ash. I uh, we appreciate y'all ministering to us in that way. That's a blessing. All right, we're going to start off by playing a little game this morning. I can tell you're excited. Get your attitude right, and we'll have a good service. All right, so if you have the shoe size 12 or higher, stand up. 12 or higher, stand up. 12 or higher. Let me sit down here for a second and say I don't think. <laughs> I'm not in I'm not including myself in this. All right. This is just, I'm just, this is just an attention getter, all right. That's all it is, all right? If you were a size 13 or higher, remain standing. The rest of you sit down. Yeah, we got rid of the pretenders. Now we're to the room. <laughs> ben? Wow. You are all feet, bro. That's amazing. <laughs> all right. If you are 14 or higher, remain standing. All right, um, uh, Cody, you wear a size 14, don't you? And then Brother Scott, you wear a size 15, don't you? I just want to give them a round of applause. Yeah, you can be seated. Okay, are you ready for this? Are you ready? Shaquille O'Neal, size 23. It's like a boat. For my family, it's like a small yacht. I mean, the, the children's story about the shoe, man, they need to write one about Shaq's shoe. He was one. his shoe size was 23, I, I didn't look up his game weight when he was at the prime, in the prime of his career, but let's just suffice it to say he was big, he was large, and uh, I've thought about him have, being a fan of basketball and a fan of sport and just looking at players from the past and uh, after him and appreciating different skill sets and different styles of play. What, impressed me, what impresses me so much about Shaq is just how physically imposing he is. Some guys are quicker, some guys could shoot better, some guys could handle the ball better, some guys were on teams where the system worked, but Shaq just ran over you. And if and if you got if he got the ball anywhere down in the post, then it was either you were going to foul him and get dunked on, or you were going to dunk, get dunked on and not foul him. And I remember this one play in particular where he dunks on this dude. And this dude is a big dude, something like 6'9", 6'10", but he dunks on him and then just kind of gently shoves him out of the way. And the guy gets all mad and picks up the basketball and throws it at him halfway down court like a spoiled child. And I'm just amazed at how in his prime, how unstoppable... What an unstoppable force Shaquille O'Neal was, unless he was shooting free throws. <laughs> you understand the the analogy here. As unstoppable as Shaquille O'Neal was in his prime on a basketball court, especially in the paint and around the rim, there is one who is unstoppable in every area of life. And he is moving and he is working. And that work can be resisted, but it cannot be stopped. God, and and not in any derogatory, not in any kind of irreverent way, God is unstoppable. He's not just an unstoppable force. He is the personal, eternal God. who has has a purpose and agenda for life in general and then specifically for your life, and he is working to accomplish specific things. In our text, God was working. Remember the reason the children of Israel have crossed the Jordan in the miraculous way that they did. The reason that God made a way when there was no way and brought this group of people who had been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years Into this land that he had promised to their forefathers hundreds of years before. The reason he did that is because he had a purpose. It was to fulfill the promise to Abraham. And then eventually, in the grand scheme of things, it was to bring forth the Messiah who would be the redemption for all of humanity. And this Crossing into the promised land and, the, and them conquering the promised land was a fulfillment, was a part of the process of fulfilling that purpose of God. In addition to that, there was great wickedness that was going on in that land. You read in verse number one how the inhabitants on the western side of Jordan were made up of the Amorites. And the Canaanites, we won't go into great detail, but you, as you study these kingdoms out, you understand that they were steeped in pagan idolatry. And anyone who thinks that you can serve whatever God you want and it will produce the same thing is not being honest, either intellectually, logically, or historically, because it's been proven that different gods produce different results in the lives of the people who follow or worship them. And there's only one true God, but they were following after idols. And it produced debauchery, it produced perversion, it produced violence that had contaminated the land. so God was fulfilling his promise, but he was also judging the wickedness of those nations. Now this is really interesting. Look at verse number 1 down in the middle. When these kingdoms heard that the Lord had... And then it describes what the Lord did. He dried up the waters of the Jordan. They heard how God worked. If you'll remember a couple of chapters back, there were spies that were sent out of Israel to go spy out Jericho. Well, these kingdoms would have used the same methods and means to be aware of Israel's movement. And if Israel could use spies and observers to report activity, they could use these spies And these powers of observation to find out what this mass of people is doing that's invading the land. And so when they heard the report, when they received word that this group of people miraculously crossed over a body of water, that would be difficult, nearly impossible for even the most fit to cross over. And yet they did it without any casualty from the fittest to the weakest. They crossed over. They heard about it. It was a unique work. It was a work that only God could do. You didn't look at the Jordan River being dried up and say, well, yeah, you can get that anywhere. No, oh, this is a fun point. You don't look at the work of the grace of God and say, oh, yeah, you can get that anywhere. Oh, no. You don't look at what salvation produces and say, oh, you can find that anywhere. No, there are works that are unique to God alone in creation and even more, and in, in also in redemption. It was a unique work. It was an unstoppable work. This is why they were so disconcerted by it. Because they understood that man, if if he can make, if their God can make the Jordan stop flowing and allow them to cross over on dry ground, it doesn't matter how advanced we are militarily, we don't have a chance. And they recognized that. It was also an undeniable work. Okay, it's one thing to say we don't like it, it's another thing to say it's not happening. Now, we live in a culture that wants to deny certain realities. I'm going to avoid the soapboxes this morning. But we live in a culture that thinks, as long as I say it's not this way, and as long as I stick my head in the sand and yell loud enough, then that changes reality. No, it doesn't. It just makes you even more ignorant. Ignorant. I don't mean that as an insult, but saying things that aren't true does not make them true all of a sudden, regardless of how they trend on Twitter and who believes them. Just because you scream things does not make them true. Well, this was an undeniable fact, even though we don't like it, and even though we're not for it, these people are advancing, and they have the help of a God before whom we have no power. Their response is what I want to focus on. Notice it says that when they heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, then you notice this phrase, these next two phrases, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them anymore. Okay, you know what school spirit is, right? Spirit Week. You yeah. ever been there? Wear school colors, dress up as somebody famous, wear silly, wear your pajamas, dress up like a breakfast food. I don't know, whatever it is that your school does for Spirit Week. But you you want to believe that you can win. Have you ever been to a pep rally? Have you ever been to a pep rally where you knew this pep rally is pointless? <laughs> Like, we can get out here with a baseball bat and smash this car all day, but we know that once we get on the field or on the court, we're toast. <laughs> it's like, boom. <"Jir-a-boom!" laughs> I would love a pep rally where the guy on the, on the phone, <laughs> megaphone, good night, sorry, when the guy on the megaphone is like, all right, get up here, team captain. All right, let's just be honest, bro. You know you're going to get smoked on Saturday night, right? Like, we're excited and we're proud of you, but you're still going to be a loser. <laughs> Can you imagine how disheartening that would be?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's literally what's happening. They, they have this idea that somehow th- this army is advancing, and they've gotten word about it. There have been battles prior to them crossing the Jordan, and they've had to overcome some enemies already, and word of that has spread. They've already had the interaction with Rahab and with Jericho, and so word about Jericho's concern has already spread. And, and, but there is still within this idea that we will resist them, and we will fight against them, and we don't care what promise has been made to them by their so-called God. We are going to fight against that. We are going to withstand that. But then they see the work That is an undeniable work. That is an unstoppable work. That is a unique work that only God can do. And it's literally like their pagan pep rally just dies in the wind of God's might because they know we can't stand against that power. They were disheartened. They knew, the implication here is they knew they had no chance. But I want to give you, it's not stated here, but it's understood from previous chapters in Joshua and from other principles that are stated in the Word of God. Their only option was not be destroyed. That wasn't their only option. You say, What do you mean? Go back in your minds, go back to Joshua, I believe it's chapter two. The spies, the spies go into Jericho and they find a woman, a harlot. And that kind of lifestyle that that represents, they find a woman named Rahab, and this is what is unique about Rahab. The, she said this about the all of her people that our hearts melted, that we our people are afraid, but she articulated personal faith in God, and that faith affected the way that she interacted with the spies. And so it's not it's not that her it, 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 her faith was proven by her behavior, and she said, because I obviously believe in God, would you spare me? And so what does the text say? That her, that her house, everyone that was in her house, she herself, they were spared to the point that when you get into the Gospels and you read the account of the lineage, the lineage of Jesus Christ, you find that Rahab was, it, was made a part of the lineage of the Savior, So being destroyed wasn't the only option. Well, what was the other option? To humble yourself before God. To say, God, if you desire to dispossess us, if you desire for them to be the ruling power, God, if you've made this promise, God, if our lifestyles are an offense to you and are wicked before you, you say, are there really examples of that in the Bible? Check out Jonah. Jonah goes and he cries out against the wickedness of Nineveh and his fear is that they'll humble themselves and turn away from their sin and believe in God and they do and God spares them. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that this was some kind of evangelistic crusade that Israel was on. I'm simply saying that these enemies, these kingdoms, these pagan kingdoms, they recognized that God was working and that they could not stand against him. But instead of humbling themselves, they simply melted without turning to God. Get this. They refused to humble themselves, not because they thought they were right, but in spite of knowing they had any chance to stand before this God. Here's the the thought. It's possible for you to recognize that God is working and for God to work in your heart, for God in a sense to melt you to the point that you recognize this is God speaking, this is God moving in me, and yet it doesn't move you at all. It doesn't produce any change. It's one thing to be melted and then to come to God. It's another thing to be melted only to resist and to become harder, to be convicted without ever being changed. You see this with children. You know, sometimes you have a child who, man, you can tell that they're, you you just go to them and say, okay, sweetheart, you did wrong. (laughs) The tears flow, their head hangs, and they just run to you, I'm sorry, I know I did wrong. They melt, and they respond. You have other children sometimes who they melt. They know that they're wrong, and you can see even sometimes the tears start to flow, but you can tell they're resisting, submitting. You know what I'm talking about. No, I, I understand that what you're saying, Dad. I understand what you're saying, mom, but I refuse to yield my spirit. I refuse to willingly change my behavior. I refuse to allow you to have rule and to have authority in my life. And it's possible that even though they melt, even though there is a weak a weakness, even though there is a brokenness, there is not a willingness to change and to be submitted. And these Canaanites, these Amorites, these kingdoms, they recognized that God was working but they were unwilling to submit their hearts to it even though in their heart they knew we don't stand a chance. What should they have done? They should have all done what Rahab did which is God we cannot stand before you. And believe this. I, I believe this. I believe I am on solid ground in saying this. If God was willing to spare Rahab, he was able and willing to spare others that would humble themselves before him. So today, God is moving. What do you mean God is moving? I mean, God's doing stuff. God's working. You know, it's really easy to get distracted with the bad news. It's really easy to get bummed out with all of the, invasion of privacy it's really easy to get bummed out and there are some heavy things that people are dealing with and as our government begins to go into again trying to shut down people's lives in not in an attempt this is a soapbox, I'm sorry. It's not being shut down in an attempt to co- protect you. It's being shut down in an attempt to control you and to only increase the control over individual lives that they have. And that's being demonstrated. First it was wear a mask and you'll be okay. Then it was wear a vac- get a vaccine and you won't need a mask. Now it's get a vaccine two or three times and wear a mask and maybe you'll be okay. But we never really know when you're gonna be okay and we're just gonna continue to try to control your lives. And that kind of invasion gets burdensome, doesn't it? Hear about it, hear about the difficulty, hear about loss, hear about people who have died from it, and there are real cases that need real concern, but it's being manipulated and perverted to gain control. You know what we need to remember? God is still working. God's oh, God's still working. I'm not I'm not making light of it but God has worked in cultures where worse things than this were going on God has worked in nations where more corrupt governments than ours were in power God has worked in nations where more self-centered leaders were in power. God's gospel has been effective in every culture and in every government. The word of God has been effective, and the church of Jesus Christ has prevailed and been triumphant, even through suffering and great loss in every generation. And I'm telling you, God is still working today, and you can't control what policies are handed down. You can't control what one state or another state, what one... One city or another city. You can't control all of those things. You can't control the housing market. You can't control wages. You can't control the protection of your job, your job security. You can't control everything that's going on in the education system. Should you be aware? Yes. Should you be involved? Yes. Should you try to affect positive change where you can? Yes, but you can't control all of those things. But you know who is still in control? God is, and he is doing a work. Stop for a moment. Stop thinking about the government over which you have no control, and think about your marriage. Think about your children. Think about your personal habits. Think about your own journey. Think about your walk with God, and understand that God is trying to do a work in your life at this very moment. God knows who you're married to. God knows what tragedy you've been through. God knows where you work. God knows what influence you have. God knows your disappointments. God knows your failures. God knows your frustrations. And he loves you and wants to use you. He wants to help you heal from that loss. He wants to help your marriage blossom. He wants to give you wisdom to raise those children. He wants your witness to flourish in your job. He wants to provide for you through miraculous means. I'm telling you, the God who is, is still is moving and wants to work in your life and he's still working in churches he's still working here man i'm not listen i can get frustrated i can get bummed out but i believe that the best days of west valley can be ahead of her if we so choose He says, if they're not, it's not about him. It's about people who won't follow him then. But if we'll keep our eyes on Jesus Christ and continue to love each other and be faithful to his word, we can still see amazing things happening in this community. Man, a government can't stop God from working. This isn't the message. It could be the message. You see how overwhelmed they were at the sight of what God was doing through his people? You know what? I'm convinced of this. I believe this. I haven't documented it so I can show you numbers. But I I think we see people in power with an agenda get so irate towards groups like us because they realize we're not controlled by their agenda and their narrative. It's almost like you got something else that's driving you. Yep. It's called the Word of God. It's called Jesus Christ. It's called that blood-bought, redeemed, triumphant people that are going to be in heaven forever, hallelujah, and God is still working. Mm, I like it. Here's the point though, you are either moving in the same direction with God or you are moving against him. There are no neutral positions with the work of God. By the way, you don't get to pick and choose what work of God you will be with and then you will be neutral on. You are either with God or you are against God. God's not a buffet for you to say, I want that work, but I don't want that work. No, you take God or you are against God. And it's possible that in your life you have seen God work, it's possible that in your life you come to a church like this and you hear God speak. It's possible that in your devotion time you open the Bible or you open some other spiritually minded book that confronts you with truth. It's possible that in your life you have a friend, you have someone who loves you and they confront you with some kind of truth. And in that confrontation, whether it's a pastor preaching the word of God, whether it's your own time in the Bible or in some kind of spiritual knowledge or information, whether it's a friend or a mentor confronting you, in that time you are confronted with this, that there is an area of your life that is being lived in opposition to God. You see, it's easy for us to focus on the Canaanites and the Amorites and all of their paganism, but the people of God are capable of building idols of their own in their hearts. And that idol can be an attitude that you refuse to let God have control over. That idol can be a habit that you continue to conceal from God. That idol can be a resentment that you refuse to let go of. That idol can be a lifestyle that you know the word of God confronts and is opposed to. That idol can be a priority that God says should be in your life that you say, I'm not going to let it be a priority. That idol could be some kind of sin that you have allowed to take control of and you have this attitude this isn't a big deal whatever it is whether it's in a young person in dealing with the authority of their parents whether it's in a marriage where a husband and a wife are resenting the expectations of Jesus and how they should live their marriage whether it's in a church where an individual is pushing back against the word of God and its implication in their life and how they're living here's the truth you would never deny that God is working And you sit there in those chairs and you sit there in your bedrooms and in your prayer closets and you acknowledge this is the work of God and your heart melts. But then you resist. I don't measure success at all by who comes to this altar. We have zero people come or we have 200 people come to the altar, does not determine success. But you ought to be asking yourself this question. How many times does God have to convict me and speak to me before I actually get down on my knees and ask him to help me with this? It's not about me. It's about a God that has spoken to you and challenged you and confronted you and said, I am obviously moving this way and I am trying to do that work in you. It is for your good. It is for your gain. Let me ask you this question about Rahab. Did it end up being for her good that she submitted to God? Yes, it did. Was it painful? Was it challenging? Yes. But in the end, it was not just good for her. It was generationally good. And your heart melts, for a time. And it's almost—it's almost like this: if I can just make it through this invitation, without having to go down there. If I can just make it through this period without having to talk to talk to someone, as long as I can just get out of here, I'm gonna feel better in a little bit. You're not actually feeling better. You know what's happening? Your heart is getting hard again. And here's the truth. The more your heart melts and then is allowed to harden, the harder it gets to soften again. So, the statement is this. It's possible that the work of God can melt you without moving you. I believe this about God. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You know why I believe that? Because his word says that. So does the work of God melt you without moving you? Over time, you'll fail to see yourself as you are. You'll increasingly become hardened to the things of God, and you'll begin to justify sin. And you'll end up living your life in opposition to God. And, and this, is a, it's, this is incredible to watch. People who've hardened their hearts will redefine what sin actually is according to the Bible. And that's not a reflection of God or his word. That's a reflection of a heart that has been melted, but that has refused to be moved by God. No, I acknowledge that God is working. I acknowledge this, but I'm not going to respond to it. Let me give you a couple of application warnings, and then we'll be done. Number one, especially to fathers, but to mothers and fathers, Don't expect others to be soft while you are allowing your heart to be hard. It is, there is a great plague upon churches where where men specifically, they want their wives to be soft towards them, they want their children to be soft towards their authority, but they refuse to melt and be moved by God. And you, you cannot expect, whether you are a dad, a mom, a husband, a wife, whether you're single and have influence, whatever it is, you cannot expect others to be soft when you are allowing yourself to be hard before God. That's what you want your children to do. When you, when you want them to obey, you know what you want them to do? You want them to have a tender heart towards you. It's another way to say it. Now, come on, that, that's a true statement. I want my words I want my authority to matter to my children. But why would I expect them to have a tender heart towards God if I don't have a tender heart towards God? And if all they ever see is me as their dad being soft and saying, yeah, I recognize that this is wrong, but I never do anything to correct it. I never do anything to change it. Number two, please get this and then we're done. Being convicted of something is not the same thing as being changed. I don't, I'm not asking it. I just want it to set in. I don't know how many times I had to, in my own life, sit in a place like this and know God was dealing with me. And I'd even come to the altar and get on my knees before Him, I'd get on the altar in my own private places and say, God, I know this is wrong, and yet because my heart wasn't where it needed to be, I wouldn't change. There is not a spiritual medal for being convicted of something. And it does us no good, like James says, to be hearers without being doers. Verse number one, the Amorites and the Canaanites, you know what they were? They were convicted that God was who he said he was, but it did not change the way they lived their life. And we need to be aware of that tendency in ourselves that we think somehow we've achieved spiritual success because we're convicted that something is wrong. It does us no good if it doesn't produce change. So here's the question. Again, does the work of God melt you without ever moving you? Do you pat your back consistently? Yeah, I got convicted about that. Where does it show up? Are you expecting others to have a heart for God that you yourself are not willing to demonstrate? Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. It's one thing to be convicted. It's another thing to be changed. It's one thing to be melted. It's another thing to move with God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm, I'm just going to ask in a general way. I've tried to make application in, in specific areas. Even if your area was not specifically touched or mentioned, God still talked to you and you still know with every head bowed, every eye closed, I wonder if there would be some that would raise their hand and say, there have been areas where I know God has convicted me. I, I've been melted before him. I recognize that this is his truth. I recognize that this is his work. But I, re- I still hold on. I harden myself again and I refuse to be moved in the way that I need to. My attitude isn't improving. And, it, and it's not that there are ups and downs, but it's that I have resisted his work in these areas. And whether it's a habit, whether it's a commitment, whatever it is, I am just, I am melted. I recognize it, but it doesn't move me. I wonder if there would be anyone that would raise their hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Yep, I see it. Yep, all over the place. Yep, yep. Well, let's do this. Again, remember what I said. I don't, I don't sit here and look at the invitation and say, "And this is successful or unsuccessful. But in your heart, you know whether or not it's successful. And there is something about responding that helps us to take it a little more seriously. And so if God has spoken to your heart, let's all stand as Brother Nate begins to sing. If God has spoken to you, respond to him. Don't wait. Don't look at somebody else. You respond to the Lord. sing one more verse. Still time to come. It's a blessing. Thank you very much, Miss Beckett and Brother Nate. Well, God bless you for being here. I don't, I'm, I am afraid of this in my own life, and and I don't, I don't mean I walk around terrified. I'm just, I'm aware of it. I'm concerned. Even, even for a pastor, it's obvious. There's too many examples of this happening. It's possible that you get so hard that what used to convict you, no longer convicts you. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that as a husband. I don't want to be like that as a dad. I don't want to be like that as a as a Christian. I don't want to be like that as a pastor. I don't want to be. I don't want to be so hard that things that used to just work on me. It's like, eh, that's old news. I want to be sensitive to him. I want him. You know what I'm talking about, brother. By, I want him to find a heart that whether I'm 30 or 40 or 80, I'm still sensitive to the work of God in my life. But you can get hard, hard hardened towards him if you don't allow him to move you. Well, God bless you for being here. I'm so excited about the service tonight. I've got some important information I need to give you about our schedule, um, Andrea and mine, and then uh, just some things that are happening personally that you're, will become obvious. No, she's not pregnant, um, but just <laughs> got some uh, things going on. And so, just I, I thought as soon as I say this, man, somebody's going to think that's not <laughs> it's not what I'm talking about. Um, uh, but we just we've got a lot of busyness coming up personally, and I feel like sometimes my schedule gets such that I just need to talk with you. And then we're going to have a great testimony service tonight, and just I hope that you'll be here and be a part of it. So exciting what God has done, and we're looking forward to sharing that with you. Brother Mike, if you don't mind, would you go ahead and head back to that room? And men, if you can, if you're going to the men and boys camp out or have interest in it, we need the men to get back to that room as quickly as possible. Brother Mike has some important things to discuss. God bless you for being here. We'll see you tonight.